Welcome. Good to have you. If you haven't been haven't been around in a while, a couple of weeks ago we started a brief series going through uh, some of the Proverbs. And so I hope that you, you'll be blessed this morning. I encourage you to take your Bible and open to the book of Proverbs. And today to Proverbs chapter 5. We've been discovering that Proverbs is not only applicable and practical, it is also at times convicting and challenging. This morning is very, very relevant. You know, the Bible could not be clearer about God's perspective and God's view of sexuality. In Scripture, God says, Genesis chapter 1, that He created us. And God created us, you'll see there in Genesis 1, He created us as sexual beings. Male and female, it says, He created them. And the Scripture also goes on and it's very clear what God's intention is with our sexuality. It says that God intends for sexual activity to take place only between a man and a woman and in the context of marriage plain to anyone who reads Scripture. Our culture is obviously at odds with God's view of sexuality, in case you hadn't noticed that. And so we discover in our day and time that God's standard of morality is at best ignored. It is often ridiculed. And we discover that what God calls immorality is considered normal and it's considered acceptable. And so the question arises in an age of, quote, sophistication, in an age of, quote, sexual enlightenment, in an age of sexual freedom and sexual liberty, are God's standards simply outmoded? As one writer recently I read a few months ago, is the Bible outdated and we need to simply bring it into the 21st century? We need to change it and adapt it. Well, if you have not, I encourage you to read the Bible and to go back and study history and what you discover is that Sexual immorality, sexual obsession, sexual perversions are nothing new. They weren't invented in the 1960s. They weren't invented in our age. They have existed throughout most cultures, throughout all of human history. Matter of fact, I would say that God's standards of morality have pretty much always been countercultural throughout human history. They've always been at odds with the surrounding culture. So it's nothing new what we see around us today. And if God's word needed to be updated, it needed to be updated when it was written. You see, to fit in the culture, if we were going to change it to culture. As we come here to the book of Proverbs, we've mentioned that 
the book of Proverbs is primarily authored by Solomon, and it's addressed to his son as dad tries to impart to son, here is wisdom for living. Wisdom, we learn that word wisdom is the word skill. Here is what you need to live life skillfully, to live life well. And while he's writing to his son, it's applicable to both men and women. It's just he's writing it to son, but it applies to daughters. It applies to all of us. And Solomon, as he writes, trying to instill in his son and his children skillful living, the wisdom that's needed to live life well, it's important to notice that he devotes a lot of time to this subject of sexuality. Half of chapter 2... All of chapter 5, half of chapter 6, all of chapter 7, plus more, he devotes to this subject. A full three chapters, in other words, to this subject of sexuality. So he views this as an important subject. Solomon, if you know anything about Solomon, he was well acquainted with all matters sexual. And he was very well acquainted with the prevailing views of the world culture of his day, how they viewed sexuality, which, by the way, were pretty much the same as how 21st century America views sexuality. Again, nothing new. And Solomon, for his part, had spent an awful lot of time of his life chasing down the path in a parallel course with the world cultures of his day and of ours. Now Solomon, writing to his son, is begging his son, is pleading for his son to take a different path. To live countercultural and to follow God's wisdom in regards to sexuality and to live a life of sexual purity. You're in chapter 5 there of Proverbs. Just look at verses 1 and 2. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Son, listen up. Listen up so that you don't go down the same road I've gone down, that you don't end up with a life that is messed up, but rather that you preserve wisdom, that you preserve discretion, that you, as we've seen in this whole book, that you live life well. So this is incredibly relevant to our day. Yes, it is countercultural. Yes, it is in our day and time, the way the, our culture views it, this is weird. But it's truth. Solomon, who knows of what he speaks, he calls us to seek wisdom. He calls us to sexual purity. Wisdom, he says, skillful living, calls us to sexual purity. Verses 3-6, through and he's going to give us four reasons here why we are called to this. First, verses 3-6. through The lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. 
Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. What he says is sexual temptation is deceptive. So we're going to summarize this. The, the lips of the adulteress, literally the strange woman, the woman off limits. Again, if you're a lady here this morning, it's the, the man that's off limits. He wants us to know some, some things here about sexual temptation. And the first thing is it's deceptive. What you hear isn't what's reality. The first thing under this to understand is that sexual temptation really is attractive. Whether it's the cute young office worker flirting with her boss or the, the guy who is trying to convince his date to give in to his advances or it's the, the troll on social media who's trying to find somebody there or the seductive image on the screen, whatever it is, sexual temptation grabs our attention because it speaks the language of our desires. It says what we want to hear. Notice he says of this strange woman or a strange man, this person who's tempting to us, says that her lips drip honey. The, the sweetest substance known in this day and time in history was honey. See, we live in an age of refined sugar and we think of sugar as sweet, but in that day and time it was honey and he says, man, this is sweet. So, and, it, and he says that her speech is smoother than oil. You know, when you live in a day without all the modern conveniences and the modern things that we have, when you try to think of what is really smooth, there's nothing smoother in their thinking than oil. It's sweet and it's smooth. It wants you to know that sexual temptation is really attractive. No denying that. Sounds good. Looks good. Feels good. It's very attractive. But understand, while it's really attractive, it also, it's attractive because it promises so much. makes big promises. Pleasure, beauty. What's sold is a sexual fantasy. Whatever it is you're looking for. Whether it's easy, guilt-free, sexual satisfaction. Whether it's a relationship with intimacy and belonging. Whether it's security and commitment. and Or whether it's Fulfillment, satisfaction, whether it's somehow that the, the, the desire to be to be valued, to be to have some significance, to feel worthy, it promises secrecy. No one will ever know. It promises safety. No one will get hurt. Big promises. But know that while it's really attractive and while it makes big promises. He says here that as well that sexual sin never delivers all that was promised. While it, it tastes like honey and it's smoother than oil, it says be aware that when the temporary pleasures wear off, real life sets in. And that what tasted so sweet is suddenly it says here, it's bitter as gall. Or some of your translations may say wormwood. Like something, it tastes like something poisonous. Have you ever taken a big bite of something or, or, a, or a drink of something and you discover as soon as you get it, oh, oh, you know, sour milk or something really bitter or whatever, and you just, oh, oh, and you spit it out 
and that taste is still there. And you, you drink something, you eat something, and the taste is still there. You can't... You're, ah. Have you been there? So that's the way this is. You try to get it out of your, the taste out of your mouth, and what started out sweet, it totally changed. And you can't just pretend that it wasn't there. It says it's sharp as a sword. It was smooth, delightful to the touch, but now you realize it's been ripping you to shreds. You know, my dad, I, I still use knives. My dad been gone for several years. I still am using knives my dad sharpened. He was a master at sharpening knives. So much so that they were dangerous because you can cut yourself and not even realize it at first. You know, until a few seconds later when you realize there's blood going everywhere. It was so sharp. And he says that's how this is. It seems like it's smooth, but underneath that smoothness there's a sharpness that slices and dices and cutting you to pieces. That's what he says. And along with that, the, you realize that the price tag wasn't in the window. The price tag was hidden and expensive. He says sexual sin is where you buy it first and you pay later, but you never saw the price tag. It's more than you bargained for. And instead of being guilt-free, now you find you've got a guilty conscience. Instead of finding intimacy in relationship, you find yourself still lonely. Instead of security and commitment, now there might be a broken heart. Instead of satisfaction, you find yourself still longing for more. Instead of significance, you find that the emptiness, the worthlessness has increased, not decreased. Instead of secrecy, there's either exposure and ruin or there's constantly living in fear that there's going to be exposure and ruin. Instead of no one getting hurt, you find out there's all kinds of ways to get hurt. We'll talk about that in a second. See, experience is a hard teacher because she gives the test first and the lessons come afterwards. We've talked about that in wisdom. That Solomon's aim here in giving wisdom is there's a couple of ways to get wisdom and one is experience, but it's a hard teacher. The other way to gain wisdom is to learn from the experiences of others. It's to learn from sources of truth. And if we listen to it, it spares us a lot of trouble. See, because as he goes on in verses 7 to 14, we discover that sin is not only deceptive, sin is de sexual sin is destructive. Verse 7, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path that is far from her, the, the strange woman, the temptress. He says, don't go near the door of her house lest you give the best strength, give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent and you will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. And I've come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. 
Sexual sin is destructive. And Solomon lists out here four potential costs to sexual sin. Sexual sin can take, it can rob from you. First of all, in verse 9, it says, your best strength, your best years, it can take from you your joy. As you now spend your time, instead of enjoying, you spend your time and your energies trying to cover up your sin. Or you spend your time and your energies trying to deal with the mess. Whether it's divorce or unexpected babies or blended families now, the heartbreak of children that you won't watch grow up because of a broken home or you're left as a single parent or there's abortion, there's there's regrets, verses 12 to 14. There's regrets. How I wouldn't listen. I didn't listen. They tried to tell me, but I didn't pay attention. Now here's where I am. And there's regrets. As we said, it's a cruel taskmaster. And sooner or later, he says, sexual sin brings regrets. Sexual sin can not only cost your joy, it can cost, verse 10, it can cost your wealth. Lest strangers feast on your wealth, and your toil enrich another man's house. Sexual sin can be expensive. Child support. Divorce, divorce costs. Alimony. You know, the lawyers get rich and you don't. Other people living off your wealth. Maybe it's simply just the, the, the cost of trying to live as a single parent. And it is difficult. You know that pretty much every source out there tells us that the number one contributor to poverty in America is single parenting. Matter of fact, we can go to basically the majority of social problems in our nation and we come back to at their source, the problem is the breakup of the family which is due to the breakup of morality and yet the nation refuses to recognize that the solution to most of our problems is going back to what God says is the right way to live. Sexual sin can rob us of our joy. It can rob us of our wealth. Speaking of social problems, it can rob us of our health. Verse 11, at the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. There are perhaps several ways in which this can apply, but the most obvious is simply in the area of sexually transmitted diseases. Do you know that if you would read medical textbooks and and things 40, 50 years ago, you would discover that there were several sexually transmitted diseases that they were saying are basically eradicated. But they're back. Matter of fact, in the last... 20 to 30 years, every sexually transmitted disease has been on the rise. And what we have just in the last couple of decades, they have hit every year is a new record high. 2014, the last statistics that I was reading this past week, the Centers for Disease Control said that there are roughly 110 million Americans who currently have a sexually transmitted disease. If you compare that to the U.S. population, that is one in three. 
The experts, of course, when you read all the same articles, they blame lack of funding for sex education. They blame everything out there except the one obvious cause. The reason that, that all these things are on a rise and are at record levels is because of increasingly immoral sexual lifestyles. And they're 100% preventable if we simply would listen to wisdom and how to live life skillfully. Sexual immorality has another cost, he mentions. Verses 12 to 14, he says, not only regret, but verse 14, I've come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. It can cost you your honor. I am ruined, and I am ruined publicly. I find it ironic, if not at times humorous. We live in a day and time where pretty much in the sexual realm, anything goes. Everything is okay. And yet, I can't turn on the news or read news and go a day without reading the story of someone whose life was ruined in a sexual scandal. You wonder, how can there be sexual scandals if everything's okay? Because everything's not okay. And everybody knows that. Everything doesn't go. It's not a question of is there sexual morality. There, there needs to be sexual morality. The question is, what sexual morality are we going to apply? And they read what God says and they say, we don't want that. We want to make up our own. And so we live in this very duplicitous society that says everything goes, but not everything goes. And so we have scandals, but... Bottom line, Solomon said, and the Scripture has said for a long time, one of the great costs of sexual immorality is that there is, it destroys your honor, your credibility, your reputation. See, God created sex to be enjoyable. And He put it inside, though, of this wall of marriage not to rob us of pleasure, but to protect us. Proverbs, whether it's this subject or any other subject, Proverbs is here to remind us and to let us never forget that actions have consequences. There is a future beyond today and what we do now affects that future. That is true most especially in this area of our sexuality. And if we choose to go down the path and to reject God's wisdom and God's instruction, if we refuse to listen to the Creator on this, there is a price to pay. And so, kids, if you're here this morning, a young person, a single person, understand regardless of what society says, regardless of what the culture implies, you don't get a pass for being a kid. And no matter what the culture says, you don't get a pass when you're on spring break. If you're here as an adult, you don't get a pass when you're in Vegas. You don't get a pass just because you're away from home. You don't get a pass because your spouse is not attentive 
or whatever other reason. Ironically, as I've talked to a lot of folks over the last six decades of my life, I've noticed something. I've noticed that people people intuitively can recognize what is wrong, what is dangerous, what is problematic in someone else's behavior. We look at somebody else and we go, oh, that's stupid. <laughs> that's wrong. Right? We're good at that. But when it comes to us, we're pretty good at, well, you know, <laughs> different from me. Because we've always got an excuse. That's in every area and that's especially in this area of sexuality. The Proverbs says, don't be fooled. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 27, one of those chapters on sexuality, says, can a man take, carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Can you pick up hot coals, carry a fire here next to your chest and not get burned? No! He's saying it's the same way. You try to think that I can, you know, I can skirt the rules here with sexuality and not get burned. Don't kid yourself, Solomon says. Can I walk on hot coals? Can I walk through the fire and not burn my feet? No. Don't kid yourself, he says. Verses 15 to 20. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Third thing that calls us to sexual purity is this. Sexual temptation is deceptive. Sexual sin is destructive. But sex in marriage, God says, is awesome. He says it's to be enjoyed and protected in marriage. He uses here, this is poetry, and He uses poetic sexual imagery. Even as I read it, some of you said, He said bosoms. I know He did. He just said it. He said breasts. In church. Can you do that? Yes! God was not surprised at sexuality. He didn't create Adam and Eve and go, what did I do? He said, you go back, Genesis 1, you read it, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And at the end of that day, He said, it is very good. God was not, He's not prudish about sex. He invented it. He's not ashamed to talk about it. Our sexuality is a good gift. He also created the environment for its best expression. And that's what he says here. God celebrates and encourages sex and marriage. Going back to a few of these little metaphors, these pictures here. Verse 15, drink from your own cistern. Water from your own well. In other words, partake freely and enjoy freely sex at home within your marriage. Verse 18, he says, rejoice. In the wife of your youth, the wife of your youth, I'll be quick to say, doesn't mean your young wife. Okay? 
So he's not saying when she gets old, trade her in and get a new model. What he's saying is, no, the wife that you married young, you're supposed to enjoy her for the rest of your days through your old age. (laughs) I won't even comment. (laughs) It's not that love and intimacy are only for the young. Rather, enjoy this relationship from youth to old age. Drink, he says. Rejoice. Verse 19, be filled, he says, at all times. Find your satisfaction at home. In other words, enjoy sex at home with your spouse all your life. Find your joy. Find your satisfaction there. You'll notice that these, all of these expressions had to do with water. Us, those of us growing up here in the, in the green Midwest, although it's hard, this August is the wrong time to say that, but I grew up out in West Texas. You know, when you grow up out in the desert, what you understand is water is a precious resource. Israel is a desert. <laughs> and water is a precious resource. And, and water means it's, it's life-giving, it's refreshing, it's invigorating. And that's what God is saying here about sex in marriage. He says it's to be refreshing, it's to be enjoyable, it's, it's, it's essential in your relationship, in your marriage. And He says, drink up. So God celebrates and encourages sex in marriage. He goes on and He says, because of that, don't take it outside of your marriage. That's what's in these verses. He said, why would you, verse 16 and 17, why would you take that which is so vital to your home and pour it out in the streets? If water is so precious and so vital, why would you take it out and pour it in the streets? He says the same thing with your, your relationship, your physical relationship. Keep it at home, He says. Why would you get infatuated, verse 20, captivated by someone else? He says, don't destroy or don't diminish, don't risk, don't endanger your marriage, don't diminish it for some illicit relationship. If you're unmarried, he says, don't don't diminish or destroy your future relationship for some illicit relationship now. And he says, why, verse 20, why would you embrace someone else's wife? That's a great question. He says, obviously he's saying it's foolish. But if you go over a couple of chapters, actually one chapter over to chapter 6, you get an answer to that question. He takes a whole bunch of verses, verses 29 to 35, and he, he gives the answer, and the answer is basically this. You don't ever want to mess with a jealous husband. They are dangerous. I don't know if he's saying that from experience or not, but he says... They're dangerous critters. Enough said. One more thing in this, in these verses. Verse 19. He says, be captivated. Literally, the word there means to be intoxicated with her love. In other words, invest in your marriage. And it's, it's not just saying that should be a good state of being. It's a command. Be in love. Be intoxicated at home. Work hard. Put out effort. Invest yourself. Seek to be a lover of your spouse. Try to be a good lover at home to meet the needs of your spouse sexually, emotionally. The best defense against sexual sin is a commitment to and an investment in your marriage. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, if there ever was a culture that was as bad off as ours in this area. Corinth is it. 
Corinth and us run a pretty good parallel in terms of being sexually obsessed and sexually immoral. And he writes to believers who are, who are living there amidst that culture and he says, he, he calls them to sexual purity and he says to husbands and wives, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 and 4, he says, if you're married, understand this, you don't belong to yourself anymore. Wives, you are the property of your husbands and husbands, you are the property of your wives. He says, for that reason, he says, you've got an obligation to meet the needs of your mate. To help them out here. And a little caution, this isn't a club to take home and beat your partner over the head with. Well, the Bible says, and Pastor Keith says, you'll need to give me more sex. <laughs> or, you know, the Bible says, and Pastor Keith says, you need to love me more. You need to appreciate me more. You need to take me shopping. You know, <laughs> whatever. What this is, is a call for you and me to love our mate more according to their needs. And again, as I've said before, I know your husband, I know your wife, and they don't deserve it. But do it anyway because the Bible says so. One more big reason here why wisdom, wise living, skillful living calls us to sexual purity. Verse 21, For a man's ways are before the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. In other words, God sees everything. God doesn't miss any of it. He ponders it. Whether it is our right and rightful and righteous and legitimate enjoyment of sex in the right context, or whether it is secret sexual sin, understand there is no place far enough, no place dark enough, no place hidden enough that God doesn't know everything and see everything. The next two verses. And they're actually kind of surprising. I'll explain why in a second. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline because of his great folly he is led astray. You see, what I expect to follow the fact that God sees everything and God knows everything is what I expect to see there is God sees when you and I mess up and He gets His big boot out and goes, gotcha. He's going to judge our sin. And the reason we've got to be so careful, God is watching because He's going to judge us. And you know the reality is that the Bible says God will. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure because God will judge adulterers and the sexually immoral. While that's true, that's not at all what Solomon just said. Go back and look at the verses again. What Solomon says, the iniquity of the wicked ensnares him. He's held fast in the cords of his sin. In other words, he's caught by his own sin. And God allows the natural consequences of that sin to be their own punishment. And so the point here is not that God is going to judge which God will judge sin, but that's not the point of why Solomon is concerned. God sees everything. So what is Solomon concerned about? The natural consequences of sin. Which is more than just that you can lose your 
wealth. You can lose your health. You can lose your joy. You can lose your honor. Those are huge. There's something bigger. The biggest consequence of sin, of any sin, and the biggest consequence of sexual sin as well, is not those consequences, it's the spiritual consequences. We've said it before already in this study, and we're going to say it, I'm going to say it again, and we're going to say it more, I hope, as we keep going. The big point of this book, of Proverbs, as well as the big point of Scripture, is not so that we can have a better life. Now, it is that. It is saying if we do these things, we're going to get blessings. If we don't do those things, we won't suffer the consequences. Your life will be better. That's big. That's huge. But it's the purpose of this is more than that. If you have a better life than go to hell, it wasn't a great help. Proverbs 9.10 says this. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The real insight, the, the, the real treasure isn't knowing wisdom. It's not just knowing how to live skillfully. The real treasure, the real insight is knowing the God of wisdom. As the verse says, knowledge of the Holy One. That word knowledge isn't just knowing stuff up here. It's the word of relationship. Knowledge of having a relationship with God. That's the real treasure. Now to be very clear, as we said earlier in the service, in the communion time, we don't get a relationship with God by being good. None of us can do that. We've already messed up. Anybody here messed up? Every hand would go up if we raised hands. Too late for that. The only way we get a relationship with God, we said earlier, it's a gift from God we receive through Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty of our sin. Okay? So I want to be clear. It's not that we're going to Try to be good here and be right in this and, and we'll, we'll somehow earn heaven. We'll earn a relationship with God. That doesn't happen. It's a gift received. Trust Jesus. What Solomon is concerned about, though, is, son, you're going to sell yourself short. You're going to miss the great treasure of life, which is walking and living in intimacy with God, to have a knowledge, a relationship with God, and to walk with Him. And you're going to sell out for a temporary pleasure. You see, you cannot have an intimate relationship with God while you are living in rebellion against Him. You cannot walk with God while you're running from Him. You see? (laughs) Therein is the great danger of this sin and any sin. When we just harbor it in our life, when we embrace this path, of sin, what we do is we cut ourselves off from relationship with God. And it's possible even for believers who have trusted in Jesus, we're saved from hell, but we don't enjoy relationship with God because we're living in sin. That's the great warning here, as well as the great call. Why should we live counterculturally as believers in this 
sin-addicted world, and why should we live differently? Well, because the great treasure is knowing Christ. Being in intimate fellowship with Him. And we can't do both. Solomon calls us to live in wisdom. Don't sell out and miss the great treasure for a silly snack that has a high price tag. That's his point. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. It tells us the truth. It tells us what we won't hear on the news. It tells us what we won't hear in the movies. It tells us what we don't hear in the music. It tells us what society and the culture won't, not only won't tell us, they'll tell us the exact opposite. I thank You that Your Word gives the unvarnished truth. It's not even for many of us what we want to hear, but it's what we need to hear. We confess this for many of us is difficult stuff to hear because there's some folks here that have been struggling with this. There's some folks here that have been living in rebellion against you and following the way of culture. May we see that it's a dead-end road. May we see that what you call us to is not only a life ultimately that is blessed, what you call us to is something higher and far better. You want a relationship with us. Begins by trusting in Jesus Christ. It continues and it grows as we follow You with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Lord, may that describe our lives here, each one of us. May we be folks who love You and follow You. That is the way of wisdom. That is the way that we live skillfully and live well. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.